So we spent the last few weeks uh, in uh, Philippians 1, looking into our, our, identifier, our, our identity as believers, uh, how to pray for each other, uh, the, the eternal perspective of, of the Christian life. And um, yeah, I mentioned last week that there, there's a word that comes up six times in this first chapter of Philippians. It's the word gospel. And yes, the children can leave. <laughs> this word, this word, gospel, and I, yeah, I just can't uh, go go over. I can't gloss over this quickly. So, what I'd like to do today is kind of take a detour away from Philippians, and we're going to go to the first fifteen verses of the Gospel of Mark. And we're going to talk about the uh, the gospel. And so, you know, the gospel of Mark, a lot of, a lot of people call it the gospel of, of Peter. It's believed that uh, Peter, who walked with, with the Lord, uh, passed this information on to Mark, who, who wrote it down. And, uh, you know, I want you to just imagine with me the scene in, in Acts 2 where uh, Jews from every nation were, were crowded together uh, to get a closer look and, and to hear from the, these 12 men who uh, are, are speaking of, of God's most recent display of, of power among them. And this one man, Peter, he, he raises his voice to the crowd. Uh, and this is like 50 days after uh, Jesus Christ was, was crucified in this, this very city of, of Jerusalem. And he suddenly declares that the Holy Spirit has come upon them, inaugurating this new age. Uh, he's, in Acts 22 through 24, he says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourself know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Now, if that isn't a picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ, I don't know what is. But in this presentation, we, we see three things. Peter proclaims the good news of Jesus Christ. And in this detour, I'd like to look at these, these three points. Uh, first of all, that the, the gospel is, is the good news. Gospel is good news. Second, that the gospel is Jesus Christ. And third, that the gospel is to uh, be proclaimed. Well, first of all, the gospel is good news. Look, look with me, if you will, at Mark chapter 1, verse 1. This is that very first verse. He just lays it out very succinctly. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And, uh, you know, we have to stop right here and, and make a comment because uh, Mark is starting his story by saying, this is the beginning of the euangelion. That's the, the Greek word for gospel. The beginning of the good news, the, the beginning of the gospel. And the, the word evangelism comes from the same 
root. Evangelism is, you know, to evangelize is, is the verb form. Euangelizo uh, is, is the word. And it's from this word uh, we get to proclaim the gospel, to proclaim the good news. I've heard people even even call it gospeling, you know, as, as a verb. You know, let's 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 go gospeling. But uh, you know, when we when we hear this word gospel, you know, we might go one one of two directions. Normally, we might think about the the four gospels, right? We've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which really are you know separate accounts from four different perspectives of the uh, the life, death, and resurrection of, of Jesus. Uh, on the other hand, our, our minds might go towards, uh, you know, salvation, God, sin, atonement, faith, uh, e- eternal life, you know, kind of like the, uh, the plan of salvation. But it's important to ask, how, how would Mark's original audience see this? How would they read this, this statement, the beginning of the gospel of, of Jesus Christ? You know, people in the first century, in the uh, the you know the Greco-Roman world, knew this word. You know, apart from Christianity, it was it was a common word, euangelion, and it had significant meaning in the in the broader culture, and uh, it was it was used to uh, write about events that were related to the uh, the empire or the emperor. You know, we have an inscription that talks about the euangelion, the, the gospel of the birth of Caesar Augustus. You know, the, the good news of this emperor being born. Uh, the, the language could also be used to refer to a, a military victory. You know, his... Basically, it meant something that uh, pointed to a historical event that had the potential to change the world as, as we know it. You know, very significant historical event. So it's, it's very fitting that the, uh, the writers of these gospel accounts used this word gospel to describe Jesus Christ. The, uh, the, the, this word gospel, euangelion, would, would resonate in the ears of the people who knew the Old Testament because uh, in, in the first century, most of them were reading the Old Testament in Greek. There was a translation called the Septuagint. You may have heard of it, or, or LXX sometimes it's called. That's the Roman rule for 70. And uh, in the Old Testament, uh, that word appears particularly in the, in the uh, prophecy and in, in the poetry of, of Isaiah. Uh, I, I think I mentioned once before pretty recently that the, uh, the book of Isaiah a lot of times is called the, the gospel of Isaiah because it talks so much about this coming Messiah, the, the good news of God visiting his, his people So, to proclaim the, the good news, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot written in, in Isaiah about the day when 
when God, Yahweh, would uh, return to his people decisively and uh, would send a deliverer. So when we, when we look at the language that's used in Isaiah, you know, particularly in Isaiah 52, look at me and look with me in verse 7, Isaiah the prophet, Isaiah the, the poet writes these words and we, we have a, a song about this. You, most of you, I think, will recognize this verse, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. Good news, and that's where that word euangelion, gospel, comes. Who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. And so this is really interesting. How how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who proclaim good news. That's that's our word, euangelizo. Uh, Anybody recognize where this gets picked up in the New Testament? This, this is quoted in the, the book of Romans by the Apostle Paul. He uses the same language. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who pray, proclaim good news, who, who proclaim the gospel. And, uh, you know, we, we all know a little bit about English poetry, some more than others. Uh, you know, in English poetry, we, we have rhyme, we have rhythm. A lot, a lot of poetry has neither. But, uh, you know, a simple child's poem, think of, uh, think of this one, red fish, blue fish, one fish, two fish, black fish, blue fish, old fish, new fish, right? We got, we've got rhyme, we've got, we've got rhythm. Well, Hebrew poetry is not like that. Hebrew poetry doesn't, doesn't work with rhyme and rhythm, but it works with more of a, more of a rhyme or a rhythm, per se, of, of ideas where the same ideas is presented in one way with one set of words, and then in a parallel fashion, it, the same thing is, is said again with, with different words. It's called parallelism, poetic parallelism. And so here this, this poem begins, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who proclaim good news, proclaim good news, and then the next line, who proclaim peace. <clears throat> and uh, the, the Hebrew word which is translated peace here is the word shalom. I think most of us are familiar with that. It means so much more than our common pers- or, or idea of, of peace. Uh, you know, when, when we think of peace, we think of maybe the absence of hostility among people, uh, maybe maybe sort of a, a, a personal psychological feeling of, of well-being. But the Hebrew word shalom is, is a word the, uh, the prophets would, would reach for to uh, describe the coming day when Yahweh sets everything right, you know, the day when, when everything that was broken would, would be made whole, uh, you know, a day when everything that has been marred will be made beautiful, this Hebrew word shalom carries with it the idea that things will be the way God intends them to be. You know, it's closely associated with uh, the words justice, uh, righteousness, flourishing, wholeness, harmony, wellness. You know, everything set right, everything the way that it should be. And uh, 
this this word shalom just like a thread works its way through the the entire bible you know the 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 dream the the vision of of god setting everything right you know finally realized in in the book of revelation chapters 21 and 22 where we see the kingdom of god coming in its fullness you know the the ultimate victory the ultimate shalom so interesting the poet would would say that how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who proclaim good news who who proclaim shalom you know that Yahweh's going to return to his people and set things right and the, the the next line it says who proclaim glad tidings you know it's our it's our same word again who who proclaim salvation interesting once again you know we we think of the word salvation we think of being saved from our sins uh, but in the in the hebrew mind the idea was that it, you know carried the notion of being saved from one's enemies it would carry the idea of being saved from uh, tyrants from from tyranny you know first the tyrants of babylon uh then the the tyrants of of persia in in the time of Jesus it was the uh the tyranny of of the Roman empire you know the 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 Romans kept Israel under under their thumb and so uh you know what what they didn't realize was that Jesus didn't come just to deliver them from the uh, the the lowercase tyranny of of the empire but the capital T tyranny of of sin and death so you know these these images get piled up good news salvation and then finally to those who say to Zion your god reigns and it's you know it's interesting to look forward you know to to imagine Isaiah writing this uh, you know speaking of a future audience who would be who would find themselves in exile you know having been taken from their homeland uh, being forced by the uh, Babylonians to adopt the uh, Babylonian way of life, he's speaking to them, and you know, to them it probably didn't look too much like God was reigning in their in their world. You know how beautiful on the mountain are those who bring good news, who proclaim shalom is coming, who proclaims that salvation is on its way, who reminds people that God, even when it doesn't look like it reigns your god reigns our god reigns so these these ideas then would would really ring in the ears really resonate with the people of god the jews who knew the scripture of of the old testament when they heard this word euangelion the beginning of the gospel, you know, the beginning of the historical events that have the potential to change the world as we know it, the gospel of shalom or salvation, uh, the, the reign of God. It's good news. Mark goes on and he talks about the, uh, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The, uh, the word here is Christos. Uh, some of our translations may say Messiah here. 
the good news of, of Jesus, the Christ, the, the Messiah. Uh, the NIV uses the word Messiah. You know, it's the equivalent of the word, the Hebrew word uh, uh, Messiah. And uh, both that and, and the word Christ mean anointed one, Jesus, the, uh, the anointed one. And, uh, you know, sometimes I think we may go a bit wrong just using uh, these titles, you know, because I think what happens is sometimes we, we sort of almost think that uh, this, this is Jesus' last name, right? Jesus Christ. But it's not. It's, it's a title. It's a title that has very significant uh, theological meaning, you know, that the, uh, the people of the Old Testament look forward to the day when Yahweh would send a liberating king, an anointed one, one who would uh, bring salvation and shalom to his people. And so Mark is saying this is the beginning of the euangelion of Jesus, the, the liberating king. Uh, then he says, son of God, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God. You know, there's, there, are very, there, there are several places in the book of Mark where Jesus is identified as, as the Son of God. You know, the, the disciples eventually, you know, specifically Peter, he said, you, you are the Son of God, you're the Christ. The, uh, can you think of any other ones? The, the Roman centurion acknowledged Jesus as, as the Son of God. Uh, God the Father did. You know, remember when Jesus was baptized. And then again on the Mount of Transfiguration, he said, this, this is my beloved Son. And um, interesting, it also uh, shows up on the lips of uh, demons who, who recognize him as, as the son of God. You know, Mark, Mark has a very high uh, Christology in, in this book. Uh, yeah, the gospel of Jesus Christ, according to Mark, is Jesus Christ. You know, later, later in uh, 1 Corinthians, the apostle Paul 1 Corinthians 15 uh, defines the gospel. He says the gospel is that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. He was buried. He was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. That he appeared to the uh, disciples, you know, more than more than 500 of them. You know, G- Jesus... After the resurrection, he's, he's still on the scene. But what, what's good for us to see is this, this phrase, in accordance with the scriptures. It's in, in accordance with God's plan all along. You know, this plan from the beginning, rec- reconciling a, a sinful, sinful world, making things right, bringing shalom. Genesis 3, where the seed of Eve would, would crush the serpent's head. You know, the, the curse of sin on man, on, on the very creation, would, would be crushed. Things would be made right. God and, and man reconciled. This is, this is the gospel, the redemption of, of creation, of mankind, the good news. So the gospel is good news. The gospel is Jesus Christ. Finally, we don't keep this to ourselves. The gospel is meant to be proclaimed. And we... We see this in, in these first few verses of the chapter of Mark, the, the gospel being proclaimed. First of all, he, he brings back the prophets in the Old Testament. 
You know, it was, it was, the gospel was proclaimed by the Old Testament prophets. You know, this, this gospel of Jesus Christ is not a new thing. It was in God's plan, in God's design from, from the very beginning. The one gospel. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, as, as it is written by Isaiah the prophet. He, Mark quotes him right here. Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. What, what Mark is doing here is he's, he's combining the, uh, the prophecy of Isaiah with, with another prophecy from the, uh, the prophet Malachi here. Uh, they're, they're both talking about the same day, this, this day when, when Yahweh would come and decisively return to his people and deliver them. You know, Isaiah talked about this day with uh, great hope and, and expectation. Malachi talked about the day with a, with a dire warning. He says, watch out, be careful that you don't miss it. Uh, so when Mark wants to begin his story of, of the good news of Jesus, he starts out quoting both of these. You know, he's saying it's happening now. Don't miss it. The gospel was proclaimed by John the Baptist. You know, we could, we could say that John the Baptist was the last Old Testament prophet. Verse 4, it says, uh, John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jer- Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes one who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So where does John the Baptist fit in here? You know, he, he played a very important role as, as the forerunner of, of Jesus in fulfillment of this Old Testament prophecy. You know, Mark, Mark is going to great pains here to show that Jesus is the fulfillment of God's plan as set out in the Old Testament, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as written by, the, by Isaiah the prophet. Uh, you know, this... This affirms that, that the beginning of the gospel story accords with Isaiah's prophecy. And when we look back at what uh, the apostles preached in Acts, we, we see this over and over again. We see this, uh, this story being, being traced out. So John the Baptist, last Old Testament prophecy, his prophecy and preaching was uh, really pivotal in God's plan. You know, he prophesied the arrival of the Messiah. He introduced the, the Messiah. Uh, and then there's, there's this beautiful scene that comes next, the, uh, the baptism by John in, in uh, verses 9 through 11. It says, In those days came from Nazareth of Galilee, was baptized by John in the, in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. 
you know, just this beautiful scene of, of the affirmation by the father of his beloved son. And this, this affirmation from the father would be with him throughout his, his ministry. The gospel was proclaimed next by, by Jesus. Verses 12 and 13 talk about his, his preparation. The spirit drove him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals and the angels were ministering to him. So you know, Mark, Mark leaves out a lot of the details that the other gospel accounts include. But he includes this interesting thing about uh, the, the wild beasts uh, the, and, and the angels ministering to him. And... Uh, you know, he's, he's relating to the, the audience. By the time Mark was written, uh, you know, the, the church was being persecuted. Some Christians were being thrown to the wild beasts in the, in the arena. Uh, after John was arrested, Jesus proclaimed the gospel. He, he evangelized. He gospeled. Verse, verse 14, now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. So he's saying the time has come, this is the time that, uh, that we've been waiting for, this is the time that, that you've been longing for, that you've been expecting, the return of God to his people. This, this shalom, this, this salvation, the reign of God, the time has come. The kingdom of God has, has come near. It's invading the kingdom of sin and, and the devil. You know, repent and believe the good news. You know, this word repent means a change of mind. Change of mind. It's, it's turning from the way you are and turning to something new, turning away from your sin, turning to God. And it's connected to that Hebrew term of uh, concept of repentance, which is turning. The time has come, the reign of God has come near, repent and believe the gospel. And now the time is... For us, the responsibility is for us to proclaim the gospel. That's the uh, continuation that, of, of his mission that Jesus has given to us. Jesus said, don't, don't hide your lamp under a bushel basket where people can't see it. He says that the Spirit's going to come on you. You'll be my witnesses. He said, make disciples of, of all nations, starting right where you're at, proclaiming the, the gospel. So, we'll get back to Philippians next time, uh, we'll, where, where this gospel shows up so prominently, and we'll, we'll, ex- we'll keep examining this, this idea, this word of gospel, as Paul uses it in, in the first chapter of Philippians. The gospel's good news, news that changes things, has the power to change everything. The gospel is Jesus Christ, the, the Messiah, the, the anointed one, the son of God who 
was sent to bring reconciliation and, and redemption to a sinful world. And the gospel is to be proclaimed. You know, Jesus, again, he said, don't hide it. The gospel needs to shine brightly in this, this dark world of, of sin and death. Mark begins his account at the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. And it continues. Jesus is living and active on earth. The gospel is still the hope of creation. It's still active in, in those who have repented and believed in him. Pray with me. Lord God, we, uh, we thank you for the gospel. We, we love the good news that uh, Jesus came bringing redemption, bringing salvation, bringing shalom to us. Thank you, Lord, that you would uh, love us and, and care for us the way you do. Uh, it's the way you would come just to, just to bring us salvation. Um, Lord, let us, let us be proclaimers of, of the gospel uh, to the community to our, our families, our, our friends, in our workplaces, Lord, in, in our country, in, in our world. And we, we just pray in Christ's name for his sake. Amen.